All right. So uh, if you've got Bibles, go to Ephesians 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 1, please, just to get things rolling here. Come up a little, a little closer here. I'm going to go there as well. Yeah, pumped to be here. Really pumped. It's been a little bit since I've been able to share with you, and um, being that, well, Nate and I started this, and our family started this together seven, eight years ago, eight years plus, um, I know most of you, there's a few of you that don't know me, but uh, I, have, I have care for you guys. I, I, I love you, appreciate, I think about you, I see some of you at, at my workplace, um, in touch with Nate, and so... I really wanted to encourage people today, those that I know and love and for those that I don't use well. Um, and so I was trying, to, I, was, I had an idea, I wanted to encourage you with how much God loves you, kind of basic, but it's a big deal, and uh, also that he has a great purpose for you. And so I started going through the scriptures, basically the letters uh, in the New Testament, looking for an appropriate scripture, and nothing was quite tracking right. And uh, finally, I was like, "Well, why don't I go visit where our group in Fortuna is at?" It's like, "Oh yeah, Ephesians two. Where is it?" And I read Ephesians two one through ten. I was like, "Oh, there it is. It's just right where we're at." That sounds about right. Sounds like the Lord. So I'm just going to invite you all into the series that, that we're in in Ephesians, and how that came to be was we were going through Luke, it took us a year, and we learned all about Jesus. And uh, you see this story, and there's usually a, a good bit, and we talked about this, and all of us, some folks not knowing Jesus yet, they just said, yeah, I, I believe that, like I believe the story, and I believe in the goodness of this God-man Jesus, but what now? What, what do you do with this belief that you have? How is life supposed to look? How does it change from what it was to now that you believe this? And that's what Ephesians is all about. Just a, a real quick fresher upper on what that is. Ephesians is a letter written by Paul to a church that he started some years before in a city called Ephesus. And Ephesus is in modern day Turkey. I'm not going to talk a lot about Ephesus, except for that, it was the part that's maybe most relevant to us is that it is a Roman city, uh, Greco-Roman, and um, major city center, so maybe a little bit more like Eureka than Fortuna. But the part that's like us is that they weren't Jewish, so they had, and especially with no communication, no uh, information on the internet and everything else, they had zero background into Israel, Jewish culture, religion. They didn't know who the God of the Bible was. These are folks, they're Gentiles. They're coming from all over the world, and they're pagan. They have all sorts of crazy different belief systems, and I'd say one of the biggest belief systems was just thought, philosophy, and partying. That sounds familiar. Sounds like us, right? So here's this uh, this new group of people that heard Paul's preaching about this man down in Israel who died and rose for their sins, and God gave them the gift of faith, and they said, we believe, but now what? 
we still live in this place. What do we do? And, and we're finding more and more that uh, that's similar to us in this quote-unquote Christian nation. And I think the quote-unquote is even leaving now. Uh, all the folks that we've come into contact with, even in a rural conservative town, have no idea of what's in the Bible. Just completely illiterate as it relates to the stories and the Old Testament and Israel and Egypt. And for all the Bible stories that you learn when you're a kid, like a lot of the folks that we're in contact with just don't have any of that. And so we decided to go into Ephesians and say, how do you live? How do you do that? And uh, it seems like the big, the big thing that um, Paul is saying to them, and you're going to find this in all of Scripture, and I've hammered on this, we've hammered on this for years, is that there's, there's usually going to be, if you've got an issue, like, I want to live like a Christian as it relates to list anything, what do I do? How do I do that? There's a successive set of questions that need to be asked. We all want to go to the, the fourth question, which is how do you live? How do you fix it? Excuse me. So shaky, right, Wes? Why am I so shaky? Always so sh- I shake terrible, don't I? He always points it out. I'm not nervous. I just shake. Uh, so um, you find that there's this successive set of questions, and it's in all of the Bible. It's like this key that if you want to know how to live or how to fix this challenge, you first start with who God is, his character, all the way back to the origin, the first, God and who he is, and then you see from there this character that he has, he acts, he lives, he does stuff. And all this stuff, when you see it in our history, the stuff that he does is for us. It's for his glory to show how awesome he is, but even that, he's doing that so that we would see it and choose him over anything else. So he does all these actions for us in the Bible. You see them coming from his character. And then the third question or thing we need to consider is what did that thing that he did, the actions that he did, what did it do for us? It changed, it changed our, who we are, our identity. It, it created a new life for us. And so we need to see now, well, who, who are we? Who are we to God now? How does he look at us? Who are we to ourselves who are we to each other? All that stuff changes by God's actions. And finally, you get to the very tail end on, okay, well then if that's how you're supposed, if that's who you are, how, how, would, you not, how would you live then? What would your life look like if you were that person? And you, and you find your answer. Paul does this in Ephesians. For the first two-thirds of the book, It's all who God is, what he did in our identity. There's nothing on what they're supposed to do. It's awesome. He doesn't come at you with a list of rules. He comes at you with a list of awesome truths about who you are, your station with God. So we're going to do that. We're going to jump into this little chunk, and I'm going to encourage you on how much God loves you, who you are, and this purpose that he has for you right on the tail end. All right, so let's read 2 through 10. Tracer, are you in the room? <laughs> Darn. She's my reader back home. So we're going to do this just straight out a little bit. A couple things. One, since I'm here, I'm going to take liberties. I'm going to take my liberty. I'm going to go a little long today. 
Two, we're, I'm, I'm bringing my living room right into here. So it's going to be, that's why I want to come like, like right, right here, right here. This is usually how close I am to everybody. I usually don't have this thing dangling on my, on my face. That's all right. That's, that's good. It needs to be recorded. So uh, the other thing is that I'm going to ask you guys to read the verses. I don't have a bunch of slides, except one maybe if it got written up there, the title, You Are Not Your Own. And you're going to get that hammered into you today, I hope, especially at the tail end. And then I'm going to ask a couple of questions throughout this to engage in conversation. And that's where we may go long or not. If, you all, if you're all like nervous or don't want to say anything or whatever, then it might be a fast sermon. So maybe just be quiet and we'll get out of here. Um, or if you bring something to the table then it might go a little bit longer, get it's, it's going to be that much better. Because it's, and this is what we're going to be talking about today, it's not God's intention that one, I don't see anybody else up here, to, to be able to do all the work, to, to come and give you all the food, and then all of you are just supposed to come to the trough and eat. I need to eat. What do you got for me? I need encouragement. We are the family of God, and we all have been meant to be saved with a great purpose. God has uh, intentions for you, for, for all of us to come and eat, for all of us to share. That's how this thing works. It's just gotten a little upended in, in the Christian culture. So, that's how we're going to roll today. Bring what you have, and, and we'll see where we end up. So, Tracy, can you please read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10? passage, huh? Can we all go home now? If you listened, we might be able to just go home. Hmm. You see why I had Tracy read for us? She's my, she's my reader. I have always, she's my best reader. She's such a good reader. She, she's, she uh, reads the God's word just so well. I love it. So, uh, you probably all being at 1030 in the morning on a Sunday probably heard about ah, a verse or two out of the 10, I'm guessing. Uh, and that's okay. That's why we're going to go through all of it. <laughs> Don't worry. I'm not going to be super long-winded. But it, there is a pattern in there. If you start to, to pick that thing apart and go through it, this pattern emerges, and it's the one that I've been mentioning. You see it right there. It, the first part is 
here's this problem. We were, we did have this identity, this bad identity, and, it, and we were ruled and reigned by this other person, and it resulted in a life, children of wrath. That's not good. And then God enters into the passage, and it's all about his character, his goodness, and how much he loves us. There's his character. And then he goes to work for us, right? He saves us. There's the salvation, the doing, the works. And then on the tail end, he's telling us about our identity and Right at the end, good works. And a little whisper. And you work and you do this stuff. There's the success of parts. So we're just going to go through that together, mostly focusing on three parts our, our old identity, who we were, what life in the world is like without Christ. And then we're going to talk about God and his goodness and his works and what he did for us, how much he loves us and his purpose for us. And then how that shapes our identity, and then right at the tail end, we're going to talk about work. Okay. One through three. I need another reader. We're going to focus on verses one through three. Who's, who's, who's going to read for me? Any, any takers? One through three. Nice. Russ, please. Thank you. Sobering passage, isn't it? Ah, it's just icky. Doesn't sound good at all. It's it's actually incredibly intense. It's a description of what life without God is. Now, Paul is, is speaking to Christians here, but if the world was willing to listen, what an incredible thing for us all to hear. Because what he's doing is pulling the blanket off of what reality, of what life truly is without God. That's life without God, according to Paul. Why is he starting here? Isn't it true that most of us who either have life without Jesus, think about your friends living life without Jesus, or, and this is the main part, those of us who used to live that life, which, well, that's probably most like all of us, right? We look back on that life with nostalgia. Don't some of you? Isn't there that part where you're like, ah, the good old days, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, I could run with the hardest of them, or, or whatever. There's those stories. If, if you had more of a rebellious chapter in your life, and there's this little bit of like pride or nostalgia that you take with that. So let's just talk about that. I'm going to open this up. What are some of the main things that either those of us who had that life or our friends that have it now, what are some of the main things that we all hang on to that and look upon with like, ah, that was good? What's so attractive about life without God? Anybody? Just shoot some stuff out there. Anything? Exactly. Yeah. Anything else? What else? Ooh, yeah, yeah. Uh, That's one thing I had listed here for sure was that when it's all me, 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 that means that when other people, you, you care about other people, but you only do enough for them 
so that they stay around you because you, for you, don't want them to leave because they make you feel good. But you never, ever make decisions for them to raise them above yourself. It's, it's always you first, and in a sense, that sounds kind of nice. I mean, if, if it's all for you and it's for your pleasure, well, that's, that's attractive. If we're supposed to be happy, anything else? Oh, yeah. The authority means zero. Yeah. Uh, and, and this is how, and this, we'll just launch that right into the main thing that I, I felt. That, that's how I look upon that life is that, well, you can do anything you want with your money, your time, your abilities. You're in control. You're free. And as I look back on my, my life at school and college, that's how I perceived it was that there was no real authority on my life. So even though there was a school administration that set the rules, teachers and my RA and our, where we lived on, on that floor, I did whatever I wanted in that school. I owned that school is how I walked that campus. I did the bare minimum to save the teachers to get grades, which was easy, and then I just came and went with whom and whatever I pleased when I wanted, no matter what the rules were. And so there's that sense of uh, ownership, of freedom, and, and I can look back at that like, yeah, I did what I want. It was rad. Okay, Paul's saying, I'm wrong. He's saying that that's untrue, that my description of my life right there is inaccurate. How could he say that? I just lived it. I know what it was. So who's right? Him or me? And well, the Bible, Paul. Okay, so how? If, let, let me put it this, and let's ask for a brave person here. If, if I wasn't a follower of Jesus and I was speaking about my life in Chico with nostalgia, and you wanted to help me see the truth of what was going on, what would you tell me? That brings more pain later. Yeah? Okay, absolutely. That's a huge one. Uh, mark that one off the list. Yeah. What else? What would you say um, was really happening to me, even though I didn't see it? Beyond self-destruction. What was my perception of life? What, what's the real perception? Where was I missing it? Yeah. I wasn't free, was I? I was a slave. Paul is saying that there's a deeper truth underneath this perceived freedom of mine that I'm actually a slave to the desires of my flesh and my mind. And you just can't see it. And Satan's behind all that. And he's feeding and fueling. And we're at fault, but he just nudges us along. And isn't this true that, and this is what happened to me, if you push too far against the authority... You like the law, you end up in jail. If you push too far against your boss, your parents, your school, you end up on your rear, destitute. That's what happened to me too. If you put if you play the game too hard, too far, you self-destruct. That's the rules of that world. And then, okay, there's this little group of folks that somehow like because we all think, yeah, but I think I can squeak past it. I think I can, I can 
hide just enough and, and duck and, and get and use what I want to get what I want and I'll be fine. Well, for those that win at the end, I don't mean to use a cliche here, but God has made an example of those folks as well. You think of rock stars and celebrities and how does it go for them when they get everything that they want when they serve themselves? Most people, even you know, non-Christians, if you took a poll, they'd be like, yeah, not, I don't think many of them are happy because it seems like there's tons of divorce that never... No relationships last, incredible amount of greed, and there's all these overdoses and suicides. How many suicides have we had with celebrities even in the past year? It doesn't work out well if you run that race. Paul is saying, wake up! The life that you lived was not a good life. It's not one to have nostalgia about. Sobering. He says that you are chil- you were children of wrath, ruled by Satan, God's sworn enemy, completely dead. You're dead in your sins that you committed against the creator of the world. It's a completely different picture. So why is this important? Why does Paul want to remind us of this? Any thoughts? Why would he pound into this right here? Why does he want us to think about our life like this, our former life? Anything? Do we wake up? Yeah. Yeah, why do we need to wake up from? What, what, what would be the dream that we might be living if we don't wake, wake up? Yeah, exactly. There's this temptation to kind of maybe pull a little from both worlds. Try to, try to ride the line, have both. Yep, for sure. We get tempted to go back in that life. And, and the desires of our flesh and mind, because we're still humans, they still come up. They still happen. So then you get tempted to kind of go back to those things that you kind of liked at one point. And he's saying, no, remember, this is the reality of that place. Another one, and I think it's specific for here. Oh, wait, wait, right before I get to that last one. Um, the way that we speak to our friends that don't know Jesus, guys. Oh, they are wondering. I, w- I wonder if, if he really likes this new life better. Does he miss it? Does she miss the old life that we used to run back, back in the day? I'm, gonna, let's, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to tell him, but I'm gonna, just going to poke and prod. If you go along and, and just... Because we want to be accepted, because we want to make a connection, and, and you just go, ha, 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 they oh, okay. So this new life isn't that incredibly different and amazing. Watch the way that you speak about your old life and your new life and your new Lord. It should be something different when you, you, you speak to them with grace and love and consideration and tact and care as your friend, but you don't just easily just fall into, all right? The last thing I think what Paul's really trying to do here is get us ready to have gratitude for what God did for us. He's setting the canvas for for God to come in and rescue, and he wants God just to stand out because he does. That's the reality. So let's let's do that. Let's read verse four. I need someone to read verse four, please. Just verse four. It's small. It's just shorty. Don't do five yet. Please. But God gave rich and mercy 
Mm, there he is. There's the king coming onto the stage. How does he come? In one sentence, Paul has one sentence to say, here's the introduction of the Lord God with rich mercy. And he doesn't just say, and love. He, he, and he's not injecting in, in intensity in order to exaggerate. The reality is it's this great love with which he loved us. Woo! Here's the Lord, and look at what he does for us. He goes from this character, there's this character, and I'm not going to hit on this very long, but that's like awesome, we all agree, God's rad, okay? Five and six, he goes to work for us with this character. Somebody read five and six, please. Yes, please. Okay, holy cow. <laughs> how, do you, how do you get through that in two minutes? Incredible! So, here's the picture. We're dead. Dead as dead can be. And what does he do for us? Paul, in like this much, puts so much in there. He makes us alive with Christ, raises us up with Christ. He seats us with Christ in heaven with Christ, in Christ. It's, it's 100% transformation. Can't be any more full. It's, it's if, uh, if you're a picture person like me, I think of a kingdom of darkness, and we're all zombies. That's one of my favorite terms, because you're alive, but you're the living dead. You're, you're, so you're not, zombie ain't no alive. Like, that thing's not living. But it's moving. So there's, we're all zombies, and, and we have this kingdom, this king of absolute hatred and darkness ruling over us. God shows up, he picks us up, takes us out of that kingdom, and places us in this new kingdom of all light, richness, kindness, grace, mercy. And the kingdom is just this flowing dude, huge cape of gold and beauty, and he just loves us, and he makes us alive, fresh, clean bodies. New clothes. I mean, it's, it's 100%. So Paul's trying to go, one canvas, sludge. <laughs> Sorry. I'm excited. And then the other canvas, he's saying, look, that's your old life. That's reality. I'm not exaggerating. Sludge, black, goo. And over here, this canvas isn't just blank white. It's painted with glory and beauty and light and love and everything that is good. He says, God took you out of there, and he put you in here. You're in there. Part of that. Amazing. All right. But where in the world are we? We're on that canvas. Okay. Paul is driving this home because he's saying, you guys... If, if you get this, if we were to understand, like, if you believed that story that I just told you, you would live differently. You would, if you actually believed it and, like, knew it. Just the way you know, or hopefully most of us know what family come from, I am a canard. I know that through and through and through, and I live like I am one. I remember how I, all that stuff because I lived it, I experienced it. Okay, <laughs> this is great. So Nate and I, as it relates to music, 
He's the giver and I'm the receiver. It has always been this way. I am not, I just am not privy to anything that goes on out there. <laughs> uh, oh boy. So uh, what, have you ever had a time where you would never heard of this band ever, and this is me and Nate, and your buddy says, hey, there's a show going on. You have to come and see this show. And you're like, who are these people? I guess I'll go. Or like, you need to listen to this. And you go to the show. You're like, ah, I guess I'll come. And you end up walking out of the show with like CD. I guess they don't do CDs anymore. Or whatever. CDs and shirts. And you're just like, it's the greatest band ever. You listen to them one time, right? Why is that? How did that happen? Because you were there. Because you experienced it. You felt it. The music entered into your ears, your brain, your experience. You saw them. You felt them. Paul is saying that if you go to the show of the Lord, he's beckoning everybody to come in to the greatest band ever. And he says, if you come and taste my music... You will walk out changed and you will live differently because you know, you've experienced me. That's what he is aiming for us to have. And it's all here. The life is here. The experience, the knowing him is available freely to all of us because of Jesus. And that's where we're going to head next, I think. (laughs) Hmm. Right before we go there, isn't it? It's, it's, it's like a dark, commie, sarcastic, I don't know what the right word is. It's, it's funny, but it's terrible at the same time that we can get so confused. We, as Christians, can forget that God's the greatest band ever and at the same time have nostalgia about being zombies and like want to go back there and do that. Man, we are in great need. So, we need handlebars. We need helpers. We need uh, means of grace. What could help us, remind us? I'm just going to answer this one for us. Means of grace, classically, are reading the word, praying, uh, being with other Christians, serving community, serving Christians, all those like classic Christian-y stuff, the reason that the Bible points to those things is because, and this is where we miss it, this is where we miss it, all of those things are means of relationship, experiencing the band. That's where you hear the music, is in those things. You don't read the word to download information. You don't pray in order to give some God a list of things you want done for him. You do those things in order to meet him, to know his character, to feel his presence. That's why you spend time with other Christians, because he's in them, and he works his hands through them and wraps you up and loves you and comforts you. That's why we do the means of grace, to receive Grace through those means to know them. We got to do that. We don't have to, we get to. I want to go to the show. Another thing that could really help us here is to remember, and this maybe is just because it's a big one for me, I'm not sure, but 
I screw up a lot. Anybody else? <laughs> uh, the more that I remember when I screw up, after I screw up, if you feel worse when after or right in the middle when you're screwing up, if you remember that in the moment and after the moment, Jesus is sympathizing with you. He is not upset with you. I automatically think that he's disappointed and he'll, he'll open the back door and let me in for family meal. But he's just, you know, not, yeah, screwed up again. No, that is not reality. As you're screwing up, after you screw up, he's, he's just... He wants you to be okay. He wants to give you peace. He wants to help you through this and onwards. The Father sees zero sin because the Son has already taken it. He sees you through. He's like, as long as he's with Jesus, Jesus is interceding for him. I love my Son. My Son is perfect, and he's got his crew. You're all welcome in. He says that as we're rebelling. His motivation for us when we screw up isn't to yell at us. It's to die for us. Every time. He loves you. If we would think that, I think we'd be more inclined to not want to go back to the other world. We would, we would want to go, but we want to stay with them. Okay. Uh, can someone read? We're just going to continue on in this thought. Seven through nine. Who wants to read seven through nine? Mm. So there's a lot of different ways to look at that. I'm I'm not I'm going to say that we've we've established our salvation through grace. God did everything for us. You had nothing to do with the doing of being saved, right? Is this thing anywhere it needs to be? Yeah, good. Okay. Some some sometimes people look at me funny. I guess it's not this. It's probably this. Um, so. Uh, Let's just continue this conversation of salvation, but we're going to start working our way now towards how we live, our identity and how we live. So if, if you think about the uh, five, five through nine, he does this first, this whole thing of connecting every bit of our salvation to Jesus. It's not weird. It's just really, I mean, repetitive. It's kind of crazy. It's like you were, uh, uh, let's see, you were made alive in Christ, you raised up with Christ, you were seated with Christ in the heavenly places in Christ so that he could show, and check this out, the immeasurable riches of his grace, wow, towards us in Christ. Everything's connected to Christ. Why do you think that this is? Any, any, why is God centering everything? everything on Jesus. What are some thoughts as it relates to our identity? Why is it set up this way? Any ideas? It's kind of a tough one. Our identity is wrapped up in Jesus. If, if God's character, if, if that's where we're headed, to be like God, to be like him, he's saying, well, I'm up here in heaven and you guys need to know as human beings how, how to be. So 
I'm, gonna, I'm coming to you wrapped up in human, and his name is Jesus. So anytime you have any questions of what it looks like to be God's child, you look to Jesus. Anytime you need to figure out who to point your worship to, you worship Jesus. Who to cry out to, it's Jesus. He's, he's both our means, he's both our grace and our salvation who did everything for us. He's also our protector and keeper, but he's also our handlebars. He's, he's the guy that we can look to, to know how to be. What is our identity? Jesus. Everything's wrapped up in him. Final big point, Paul's driving home under identity is the word grace. Definite, we're going to, and here we're we're transitioning. Definition of grace is unmerited favor. And as I said, I'm not going to focus on the salvation part as it relates to grace. I'm going to start focusing on the work part of it, whose we are. So I, I want you to think about this as a picture. Let's just wipe everything clean for a second. Imagine, imagine a marketplace. This is where Nate's so good at this stuff. I always love when Nate preaches about, imagine being in Bible times here and this person comes, you're just good at that. I want you to think of a marketplace, old school, maybe biblical times or something like that. Uh, and uh, there are people buying and selling and trading and tons of people, loud and dirty. And there's at the center of the spot, there's animals that are being bought and sold. But maybe this place is a little different in that it, uh, it, it, it judges or deems these animals as worthy of being sold, worth anything or not. And if not, well, they go to the slaughter. All right? So here's a group of horses. And uh, they've been looked at and they're deemed failures, tainted, worthless. Meant for the slaughter, all right? And man who takes, takes the reins of these horses, the chains, he's just going to make them into dog meat, sell them for dog meat, something like that. And so these horses are doomed. There goes one of those packs where, yeah, they're going to get slaughtered. But then, out of the crowd comes this man, and he, to the shock of everyone, says, I'm gonna purchase, I want to purchase these horses, and the guys, no, that doesn't happen at this point. They've, they've been deemed worthless. They're mine. I own them. I've got the lead. And so, again, to everybody's shock, this man pays this ridiculous sum to take these horses so much to the point where the man who had the horses for dog meat took it. Yeah, they're yours. Okay, so now the lead has changed hands, all right? New man owns these horses. They are now his, and you are now his. He is our new owner. I want you to think about that picture and explore this in the final verse. Verse 10, can someone please read verse 10 for me? First words, thanks, Matt. First words of verse 10. First three words, what are they? One more, four. (laughs) Thank you. 
I didn't think there was a four. There goes the whole sermon, totally screwed. Uh, for we are his. See, it's all in the world world here. No pretty, pretty show. We are his. Huge part of our identity, and it's connected to our salvation through grace, is that we are not our own. Matt, you're always looking for a one-word takeaway. You are not your own. That's it. If you're one of those types that just wants one thing to walk out of here with, you are not your own. You were bought with a price, and it was costly. It cost him everything. You no longer own yourself. Think about those horses. Did they have anything to do? They couldn't even cry out for mercy. They couldn't explain why they were worth anything. They were just going from hand to hand. They were owned. And they walked away owned by a different master. And and we are just fortunate that our master, and do you hear me saying that word? Master is a father. We are so fortunate that the man who purchased us is a father. And his intention is to set us free into our work. Does that make sense? Set us free into work. Is that possible? I think it is. Let's look at that. I want to I first check, check just a little bit here on how you're always owned by somebody. We think that we're free. You know, oftentimes we think if, if there's the two kingdoms, the one of sludge and the one of light, well, maybe I'm this middle, like there's a little tent city in between, and, and we kind of like, like both, we know what's going on, and we kind of pull from, no, 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 no. That's not true. You are either a, if, you're, if you think you're that, it simply means, whew, this is scary, guys, you're either a bad citizen in one or the other. You're either a rebel in, in the dark kingdom, uh, but you're still in the dark kingdom, or you're a rebel in the kingdom of light. Let that hit. There ain't no in-between. You are owned one way or the other. Ooh, man, this is not uh, what people want to hear. But let's just read this. Look, look at the first... Look at the first portion of this. You were dead. Okay, so he's going to be talking about... Look at what we were. It's past tense. Everything's past tense. You were dead in your trespasses. Uh, We once lived in the passions of our flesh. You were, by nature, children of wrath. Okay, Past tense, no longer accessible, not available to you any longer. And then there's one of my favorite things ever (laughs) when you have in a passage, but God. Anytime you see a but God, get pumped. So he's showing up. This was a bad situation. Here I am. And look how everything changes ownership to this like present tense or what he did to make this new reality for us. So he made us alive. You have been saved, raised up and seated with, a, uh, seated with him. Again, you have been saved through faith. You are his workmanship. 
It's, it's, you've been, and now you're over here, and you're his. You were something in someone's, and now you are something new in someone else's. Okay, why is this significant? Think, let's go back to the horses. We're going to start closing up here. It's my last little chunk. Think about the horses. The horses are strong. Horses are strong. Can you believe, my love, that I'm doing a thing on horses? I don't even like horses. Ugh, they're terrible creatures. <laughs> no, they're, they're, they can be great. They're just, you, you, you get a quad. It's not going to decide to run you off of a trail if it feels like it. No, uh, horses are wonderful for this. They're strong. They have uh, abilities to do many things for their masters, don't they? So in that situation that they were meant for slaughter and someone then purchases these horses for themselves, are, their horse, are those horses their own? It knew. All that those horses possess to give as far as their strength, their smarts, their servitude, whether it's in the fields or carrying the master and his goods, all of those abilities are meant for who? The master. If that horse does something wrong or disobedient, who does it affect? Who is it in the face of? The master. If he does good, who's it for? The master. Everything in the horse's life is for the master. And, capital A-N-D, for the horse's enjoyment. How is that possible? When a horse does what he or she was made to do, the horse enjoys its life. Think of a horse out there and a pastor just full tilt. I mean, you just leave, uh, people call it majestic, right? A horse and its strength just doing its thing because it's beautiful. It's doing what it was meant to do. And that horse could not be any happier where it's drinking water after a long run or out to the pasture to eat for like a day or whatever it does. It's enjoying its life. When it does well for its master, it enjoys its life. It's a good master. And that's what the Lord wants us to do. Put us to work, but free as we were made to do. Complete fulfillment. So coming back to who we are, if, let's, let's get the horse out for a second. When you feel tempted to some of the desires you had in your former life or that you're struggling with now even, deciding, how am I going to live? Who am I living for? It, you need to remember that you're not your own. It's not all about you. When you sin, it affects your master and it affects those around you. It really does. If you're trying to figure out if you're, what you're going to do with your money, your time, wait, 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 your, your money, your, is that even right to put it that way? Our money, time, and abilities? Uh, whose barn does the horse stay in? Whose land does the horse walk on? Whose hay and carrots and apples does the horse eat? Who even made the horse? Wait a second. So that means that anytime you have a question with your stuff on what you're supposed to do, the first thing you do, the middle thing you do, and the last thing you do is come to your master and say, this is all yours. What do you want to do with it? Isn't that such an interesting idea? 
instead of maybe I'll think about giving him a portion of some of these things? How backwards. You're not your own. We're his. So what do you think this looks like for your life? That's what I want to encourage you with today. You were purchased for a purpose. You are not a spectator. You are not purchased to simply be saved for like some other really nice pastor in heaven. Uh, Mostly continue your life as you have before except a little cleaned up. Maybe you've grown up into your 30s. And experience, you know, and, and come to, to church on Sunday to kind of make sure that you're on the right team. So much more than that, you guys. We're all horses and we're all shepherds. We all need to help each other to a certain degree. This is a family. That's how God describes it. Back home, anybody from Fortuna? Yeah, Michelle and I aren't just going to feed you every week just so you feel good enough just to keep on going. Nuh-uh. We're going to figure out how y'all taken over. That's my job. That's, that's what the Bible wants is for you to find your purpose and live it. All right. So, one last picture with the horses could be, as it says that God created the works beforehand for us to walk in. It means that he already blazed the trail for you like a few weeks before. And he says, hey horse, I'm ready to go on this trail. You just need to like walk on it. (laughs) That doesn't sound so terribly hard. We can either get pumped, you know, just like when they're all agitated, like let's go, let's go. You can be like that or you can be stubborn and obstinate and just... Dig your heels in. Or you can just like not even get up out of the barn. Just, ah, I just, you know, I'm tired. It, it, it's not, my life wouldn't be balanced if I did that. I'd be tired more than I am now. Don't be fooled. God's going to get you to where you need to go. If you're the stubborn type, oftentimes he's just going to grab you by the reins and drag you and prod you to where you need to go. And if you continue to be obstinate, yeah, at some point you'll say, fine, you can go into the barn, and you're part of my my crew of horse, my stable, but yeah, I'm going to pick a different horse. What the world? I'm looking for some some people that are excited about what we want to do in the kingdom of God. I'm going. Let's go. So you got to be ready for the planned things that you have rhythms for, like every day you get up and you go do these things with the Lord. And then there's the times in the middle of the night where he needs to ride because there's an emergency. You gotta be ready to go. Let's go. That's the horses he wants. I got a closing story here. <laughs> just perfect. This is what happened to me. Exact, just happened recent. So our kids are playing indoor soccer. yippee do. Uh, you can hear the obstinance in me already. So we've got five kids. Three, it started out with one of them was going to play. It ended up now three of them are playing. And it's on Saturdays, our Sabbath day. My Sabbath day. Darn it. I have a balanced life here. And, uh, well, down the road, that was months ago, found out someone called, and, and it was a message I, like, like deleted and, like, forgot I was asked to coach. No. Not happy. Uh, Didn't want to coach. I didn't feel called to coach. 
I had other mission going on, whatever. And so, but begrudgingly talked to Michelle about it. Well, it's okay, so we can do it, fine. So I just kind of said, sure, I'll do it. Um, meanwhile, this is happening here, and then in my spiritual reality, which has been completely disconnected from this, Michelle and I, especially, we've been praying. We pray every Wednesday night, like intentionally, me and her, and I was like, Babe, I read this thing in a book. We need to live crazy lives that have to have the Spirit. Or if we don't, we're going to live controlled lives that don't need the Spirit. And, we're in control, and, and then God doesn't need to be there. And then there's no miracles and then people won't get saved. So we like got to live crazy lives. <laughs> this is me and my wife. I'm so sorry, love. So I'm praying for this life. Lord, just make it not make sense at all to where you have to come in and help us. Just, I'm open for whatever you want. And then the story with the soccer continues. Michelle, I come home one day. She's like, so the soccer people called, and they said that they needed you to coach maybe for another team too. Uh, they don't have enough people. And I figured since we're going to be there anyways that I said yes. I was like, all right. And I was just not excited about any of this still. And then next comes the next Wednesday. We're sitting there praying. We... We're praying, and we have, like, I got to get the soccer stuff out. We got to text all the parents and tell them what's going on, and I need to memorize 30 kids' names and all this stuff, schedules and blah, blah, blah. And then I'm praying, and then I'm seeing the soccer stuff, and I'm an idiot. (laughs) And then, the Lord brought them together. And as soon as I saw it, and this is, you know, I, I think I want to brag about this, but wait, it says no one can boast. Okay, good, so it's grace. By grace, as soon as I saw the two things together, I was just all in. It's like, I'm just a dumb horse. I just need to t- be told what's going on sometimes. But when I get told and I get it, I'm in. And, and right in that moment, I just embraced it. <laughs> this is us, this is Lord's, this he's answered, he answered my prayer. And I didn't even see it. How much is he doing that in our life? So now, I'm on brace and we're praying for it. Lord, let this be your mission and our blessing to our kids and just do your, we're going to help our community that we're taking on. First day of soccer was last Saturday. And we ran into my buddy Daniel. Hadn't seen him in a long time. Seed planted with Daniel about five, six years ago. And it just so happened that when we met last Saturday, some things have been going off in his life. Lord's been stern in his heart. You see how this works? Grand purpose. He was in my living room the next morning because of the Lord of hosts. And now he's changing his life. He's got a purpose for you, Daniel. He ain't going to let you in the areas that in your life that you talk about, he ain't going to let you stay there. He is going to show up. He is going to do amazing things. He's got, I love the purpose that you have planned already in your life. I love what you want to do. I can't believe, I should believe, you already know what you're supposed to do. That's incredible. There's folks in here still waiting to know, like, what is it, that thing? You got it. You're going to go do it. Lord is good. He's, he's got a grand purpose for you, and he loves you. Okay, if you feel like this is too big or too daunting 
or you feel anybody can sock or coach indoor soccer. So, like the biggest things in my life don't come from right here. They come from just like the normal life stuff that we all do. So that's why I'm encouraging you. If it feels like you're too much of a failure, you don't have the abilities. I was encouraged the other week by this psalm, Psalm 138. I'm going to close with this. I was feeling a little down, a little useless, and it says in this verse 7, verse 8, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. Here's verse 8. This is the big one. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. What does it say in verse 10? We are his workmanship. He's not going to forsake his workmanship in all of you. Every one of you. Hold on to the promises of Scripture. Go to the show Taste that the Lord is good and remember that you're not your own and you have a good master, okay? All right, that's it. We're gonna respond now. We're gonna respond. Nick, where are you at? Nice, all right. I'm excited for Nick to lead us in uh, some worship of this great master that we have. So let's, let's do that together.